Hello, this is drummer Rudy Royston. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast with Christopher Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, thank you for pressing play on this episode number 74. We're glad to have you, and we have another great show for you once again today. We are going to talk about hosting your own event And as a musician, of course, that can mean hosting a concert, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. You might want to host an educational event of some type or just use your creativity. We're going to talk about what it takes behind the scenes to get the people to actually show up to your concert. And of course, you want to have a presentation of excellence. What type of work is required? What does that look like? Whose help do you need? We're going to talk about all of those things in this episode today. We have a great guest for you. He's a very well-respected drummer in the Chicagoland area, and he created a series called Rewind and Play, and that is where he hosts events, and he's going to tell us more about that. He started in 2014, took a short break, and has brought it back, and the people are just eating it up. I'm happy to bring to you right now Mr. Paul Hall, enjoy our conversation that we had at the local restaurant. Paul Hall, welcome to the show, brother. What's happening, man? How you feel, Chris? I'm great. Thanks for coming and joining us today. We're glad to have you. I'm happy to be here, my brother. So when you're not working in music, what do you like to do for fun, pastime? Now I'm a family man, a full-time family man. So I'm usually hanging with, with my kids, with my wife. We either in the summertime, we go to the beach, we hang out, things of that nature. Or, you know, um, I, I'm an avid NBA follower. You know, when I get a chance to get into that type of stuff, I, you, you know, I, I fall right into that. You know, I, I love NBA. I, I don't know anything about football, so don't ask me anything about the NFL. But, yeah, I'm a big sports fanatic and uh, things of that nature. I'm always doing research on something, you know what I'm saying, so... Oh, research in basketball. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So how did you get your start in music? Well, I got my start in music. Um, I went at my church, my uncle's church that I was uh, that I used to go to, uh, New St. Mark Church. When I was four years old, three or four years old, my big cousin, rest in peace, Aaron Holmes Jr., uh, Aaron Holmes III, he allowed me to sit on his lap, and he used to guide my hands while he hit the pedals. And I just thought that that was so dope, and I just fell right into it. And um, four years later, he went off to college, and I had my opportunity to be the head drummer at church at like seven or eight years old. So, yeah, that's a lot of responsibility for a seven-year-old. Oh yeah, I was nervous. You know, when they go into those shout music, the the bumps and everything that. If you look at old video footage of me, you'll see that there's no one on the drums because I used to run off the drums and my mom would have to come get me from the back and be like, boy, get back on them drums. I was like, I can't play that fast, you know. And so it was a process. I used to do that every Sunday. If I knew they was about to start shouting and getting all happy, I'd just run off the drums. Now, was there no one else in in the whole church family, if you will, that could have stepped up? Well, or were they just being courteous to you and trying well, to let you get experience? Well, the thing is, my my cousin he was he was gone. He went to Illinois State, 
And so his brother, which is my other cousin, uh, his little brother, both of us are the same age. And both of us were at pretty much the same level playing drums. So it was like, I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. So both of us are kind of kind of like shy about getting on there when it's like when the praise is really going forth and things of that nature. So it was nobody else but but us left that was up there. Everybody who used to play before my cousin, you know, they had already went off to do other things. So it was just us, you know what I'm saying? So... So when did you start to get serious about playing drums? Well, I think it had to, it happened around high school. Um, th- coming into my freshman year at Thorn Ridge High School, and um, I worked with Mr. Eanes. I don't know if people know Mr. David Eanes uh, at Thorn Ridge High School. He works you pretty hard, you know, and that first year coming in as a freshman, we used to play on the tables and just do rudiments galore and things of that nature. And that's when it clicked in my head. I was like, man, this is something that I kind of really want to do. You know what I'm saying? I want to I kind of take this a little bit more serious than I have been taking it. I always just knew church. I always just knew how to play at church and everything like that. But then I start opening up my mind to, like, other stuff. And it's like, man, this is out here for me. And um, But even then, with saying that, I still didn't take it as seriously as I do now, of course, but because I I love sports so much. At that time, I played baseball and I played basketball. And so when I got to high school, my band teacher, he gave me an ultimatum. He said, man, either you're going to do, because the practice schedules are all the same, either you're going to do the sports or you're going to do this band. And I said, peace to him. I was like, I got to play. I'm going to the NBA still. You know, I always had those NBA dreams. So I quit band back then. And um, it wasn't until I quit band and then I I got more into basketball that I realized, like, dang, everybody a little bit taller and a little bit faster than me. It's like, man, I I think I want to go back to band. And so I came back. I came back to band and... um, for like one day because I had like this pride issue thing like he it was marching band season and I did not want to play cymbals and I was like oh man cymbals if you play cymbals you got to do all those dance moves and stuff you know I don't really want to do that so I just decided not to come back but I I, I grew a grew a, a love for music in that in that regard in the high school kind of came to be I know, I know Mr. Eanes personally, and I work with him still to this day. Yeah. And uh, something that I learned in my adult years that I didn't know when I was a student is that he deliberately does not give freshman uh, leadership roles for yeah. sure, but he has a system where he makes them work up. Oh, and yeah, then, And definitely. then they're incredible by the time they're senior year. So yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what you were going through. Exactly what I was going through. It was... Eans, man, yeah. it's like, dude, you wanted to be on point for the band, and it was all or nothing with him. It was like, hey, do you go do this or or not? You know. So, when did you uh, become serious about your craft? Well, and what um, what led you to become serious? I'll tell you exactly what it was. Junior year of high school, two thousand three. There was a talent show that happened at the at the school. 
and some of my friends, Nate, Nate Warren, uh, Terrence Slim Holmes, and uh, Terrence Ville, they got together and said they wanted to enter the talent show. They needed a drummer. And so I said, cool, I'll do it. You know, it, it wasn't easy. I just wanted to go to the talent show and just kind of chill and laugh at people, be terrible and stuff like that, high school stuff. But we entered the talent show, and long story short, we ended up winning. And that feeling of being on stage when we won and people booed us because we, it wasn't too popular to be a musician at, at school. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you had, the girl who, you had the girl who was singing and, you know, people like that. But And we weren't as popular, you know what I'm saying? So people actually booed and was like, recount, recount, but we won. And I love the feeling of the competition that I used to have in sports, like psh, like that other team talking us down. It's like the audience was that other team, and I wanted that. I loved the way that felt that you you booed me when I was the best when we won by these judges. And so then I was like, man, that's when the band Versatile, my band Versatile began out of that that crew of musicians, and that's when I got serious about it. That's a great. That's a great story of uh, overcoming. Mm-hmm. Do you, would you happen to know who was judging? Was it a, a judging panel of students or teachers or a mix? Teachers. It was teacher. Actually, Mr. Ains was one of the uh, one of the judges on that on that on that staff. It was, if I'm not mistaken, like maybe five or six uh, uh, teachers that were on that. You know that staff or whatnot and so you mentioned that was the birth of your band versatile yeah uh-huh. and today they're still in existence yes and, and working uh, real quick tell us uh, who are some people that versatile has worked with talib Kwali, avery sunshine we worked uh did a few uh one thing with eric benet uh loose ends which is an 80s group or whatnot but it was like at that time we were doing things we were the house band at this uh spot called the shrine and it kind of just came to be like that. We were playing for oh, Guaple. And, um, yeah, we just played for a lot of artists back in that day. I was I was going to ask, like, those are some notable names. Mm-hmm. How did how did that come to be? But yeah. you're telling me you were the house band yes. for for this venue. And mm-hmm. so they, they would come and you would get to work with we them. We would get to work with them. It just yeah. kind of happened. They had a, a, a band competition to see who can be the house band at the Shrine. And we went out for that, you know, and um, we won that competition. And the the owner of the Shrine at the time hired us as like, okay, whenever we have a, a national artist come in, you guys get the first call, you know, so... Why do you think you won that competition? What's about, what is it about your group? Well, I think that's something that kind of stood out about what we do is we always paid attention to the detail in the music. You know, that was always my mantra with music in general. Um, we pay attention to what's going on and we work for the artists. You know, it's, it was never a thing of like, see me, see me. You know what I'm saying? We did. We facilitated the artists very well and we still do. And we always paid attention to what we're very aware. Being a musician, one thing about being a musician is to be aware, to know your music, but to understand the moments in the, in, in the show, in the live experience. You know, and some, sometimes that can be overshadowed by different chops, licks and things of or people being more into themselves and more into that type of vibe of things is you, you can miss the moment 
you never want to miss the moment. And I always stress to my guys, like, don't miss the moments in the, in the shows. That's very mature of you, Mr. Paul Hall. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here today because you recently hosted a show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> for asking me. Yeah. And I witnessed something great. And Thanks, man. I know what it takes. I have an idea of mm-hmm. what it takes to put on the show. And you did it at a high level. So we want to talk about that today. Okay. For anybody who cares to put on their own show. So first of all, you call it a production. Yes. And it, and it was. Uh, but let's let's start at the beginning. Where did you get the idea? Well, first, what did you do at the end? What what did you do, and where did you get the idea? What did I do? Yeah. What what was the show? Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a production called the Rewind and Play Music Series, and uh, this series it, it it attributes live old school music, R and B, old school R and B, jazz, things of that nature. And what I do is I, I take you know, local artists from Chicago. I put them on a platform where we can pay homage to some of the greats like Aretha Franklin, Teddy Pendergrass, Luther Van Randross. And the thing is, this is not an impersonational type of show. And so this show gears towards family. And in that regard, um, like I said, I have kids and things of that nature. And a lot of times they never get to see me in my element. And so the driving force of getting this going and getting this started was I want my son, I want my my daughter to be able to see me in my element, you know, and it's hard. You you know how it is. It's just like we playing clubs, we playing late at night, you know, things of that nature, and they don't get to do it. So it was uh, the idea presented itself to me. I was kind of thinking about, man, I, I, I was feeling like unfulfilled. You know, I've always been I'm always called in for to do different things, different shows and that nature. I'm on those shows and I'm like, man, this song really supposed to do this. But if we can just do this and then next thing you know, I'm taking over the show and people kind of looking at me like, yeah, I don't kind of want to do like that. And that's when I was like, man, it's time for me to kind of like step out and and do my own thing. Um, My friend, uh, Nia Lamb. Uh, she said she had a place for us to, you know, start it at. I had mentioned it to her that I wanted to do my own thing. And truth be told, I was afraid. I was fearful because I'm like, man, are people really going to accept me or accept the ideas that I have or respect the ideas that I have? You know, people know me as the drummer and the guy, you know, the life of the party, you know, things of that nature. And I didn't know if it would transfer over. Like, man, I actually have... I actually have ideas, you know, so it definitely worked out, man. The recent production we just did was uh, There's No Town Like Motown. It was just a great turnout, and and people loved it, man. It certainly was a great turnout, and the people did love it. I was there. Um, How long have you been hosting shows with Rewind and Play? Well, we started that back in 2014. What was was the first show you did? We did uh, Shaka Khan. We attributed her and uh, Gladys Knight. And uh, Shaka Khan was done by Kaya Holmes, uh, Chicago native, and, uh, and and one of my best friends, Miss Angela Martin, she did Gladys Knight. And it was banging. We've, we've talked about Angela briefly on the podcast here. And uh, for people who don't know her, 
I, most people would know her from American Idol. Mm-hmm. One of the early seasons. I don't know what season. Do you know what season she was? I think on? it was seven. Season seven. She did okay. it three times actually. Yes, right. Yeah, she sure did. Seven was seven. The first season for her. Yeah, season seven. I okay. think was the first season for and her. I, and you know, if you look her, if you look her up, I can honestly say she has matured so much mm-hmm. in, in her musicianship since American Idol. Um, I love working with her. So with the recent show. There's no town like Motown. How much time passed from the time you had the idea to do the show to the downbeat? Man, that that experience was uh, four months. It was a four-month experience. If you're putting on a production to get people out, to get the word out and things of that nature, sometimes you may need a little longer than that, you know, to put arrangements and things of that nature and get people out. But... Yeah, it was a four months experience um, from when I called Nia back, and I was like, "Yo, let's. Um, I, I want to kind of get this going again. It's really on my spirit. I, you know, I'm a different focused human being, and at this time now, I'm married, beautiful wife, Brandy Hall. It's something about having that better half that 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 centers you in, and centers you in into that focus and in, in that frame of mind." And so I was ready. I was geared up. I was like, man, God spoke to me about it, you know, and was like, man, it's people that need to see the perseverance of a dream. You know, they need to see a vision taken, you know what I'm saying, a chance on faith. They need to see it. Some of my peers need to see this, that you too can do this, you know. So I went out. I went out for it. I wanted to ask, where did you get the idea to put on the show? Like, if you remember, like, what, mm-hmm. were, you, what were you even doing at the time when you said, I'm going to do this? I was at home. I'll never forget it. I was at home. I was on my couch. And uh, I was watching, um, you know, I got YouTube on my Comcast. And I was watching um, Anita Baker's um, tribute that they did to her uh 2012 or 11, I think it was 2012, on the Soul Train Awards. And I was just, I was just watching it and just floored by how awesome that tribute was. And I'm just sitting there like, man, I want in. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want in. And that was the moment when I was just like, man. And then I, I mentioned it to my wife. I was like, man, you, you know what I do. She had never seen me in that element um before because i used to do it before i met her and so I, I mentioned it to her like man this is what i do like how would you feel about me going forth and you know getting it started again and she was a hundred percent behind me so it, it was it was well worth it one thing I, that stood out to me is this it, you clearly put a lot of thought mm-hmm. into the organization and the presentation uh, the order in which things were done. Uh, it, it's, it, there were a lot of moving parts. And so I want to really talk about those things. Okay. Uh, the first thing is this. You didn't do it by yourself. Right. You had some people helping you. Yes. That's important. Definitely important. <laughs> so how did you settle on your team and who was on your team? And talk okay. about what their roles were. Okay. So first, how did you settle on, on the people? On my, on my people, well, when we first started back in the day, 2014, 15, around that time, um, my partner of crime was uh, Nia Land, a.k.a. Stephanie Heron. And uh, she's always been my, my go-to person 
Uh, we work together very well. And when I presented it to her this time, I know times are different now. And, you know, everybody have more responsibilities and things of that nature than we did a few years back. And so she suggested that I call another friend of ours, uh, Sherry Amore. Sherry Amore uh, deals with, uh, she has a company called Project SRT, which is a project management company. And what that does is... Uh, um, when Nia was telling me, I was like, you have to be kidding me. This is stuff I pray for all the time. Like, she kind of aligns everything business-wise and, like, where our marks should be and where we should be on deadlines and things of that nature all the way down to the T, like, all the way down to the bag of chips you want in the back stage with the band, you know, uh, and the outline of a, a budget and things of that nature. So it made it made me focus gave me a lot more time to focus in on the music and the organization of the show rather than having because you know putting on shows when you're thinking about budgeting and all that kind of stuff that takes a lot of time i just thank god for her coming in and uh that that being our core team you know me sherry and nia working together it was it was great man it gave me so much insight and another thing that you had said the organization of it all I wanted to make it as an easy of an experience for all of the musicians that I had on board for that show. You know, if you look at the lineup of musicians, I mean, all of these cats either have their own band or their own thing going on. And so I knew with a band full of maybe 11 or 12 guys, it's like, man, it's kind of impossible to piece this together a solid schedule, you know, to work off of. So... You know, I utilized my, uh, my my best friend, Nate Warren, who was also the keyboard player. And uh, what we did was we just got up and made some some uh, some tracks and of the arrangements of the show and sent those out and to make it easy of an experience for the musicians. And, and that's that's key. You don't want the musicians who you're working with to to feel like out of the loop i've all, I always kept everybody in the loop as to what's going on and i was honest to what's going on and so whatever they walked into it was no surprises i hate walking into surprises like you get 10 songs and you get there and you're only doing four of them but then the other ones you're merging these together and you're doing all this kind of stuff no no when you come to a paul hall experience type of situation when you come to that rehearsal, you already know what it is. It's no more, no less. So that's very good, Paul. And it stood out to me immediately when I got your rehearsal tracks. Um, first of all, the the songs were merged together, and then it was seamless. It was mixed. I was like, "What in the world is this? Is not normal." And then you had your voice on the track mm -hmm. explaining, "Okay, the transition is coming up here," and you would do little things like count it off or explain what your vision was right there on the track and that mm -hmm. was very helpful and uh, something else that you just mentioned was coming into a rehearsal already knowing what you're going to, uh, to do mm -hmm. that's very helpful yes. and i want to tell the listener right now to go back to a previous episode of behind the little podcast called how to run a rehearsal mm -hmm. give you some very helpful tips there and paul actually actually used some of those tips we talked about in that episode so that's great. So you talked about your core team, and, and uh, it was the three of you. And I'm going to say Nate was probably a big part of that, too. Because yeah, Nate was a big part of it, a, yeah. 
you guys put a lot of uh, time in those tracks. Yes, evidently. yes, definitely. Um, so, uh, what did what did it take to host this last show? Uh, because again, there were a lot of moving parts. I'm gonna tell you what I observed. Okay, cool. And it's a, it's a long list, and then I'm sure I missed a lot. But you had the rhythm section, the horn section, the dancers, the feature singers, the video, the audio, the venue, the rehearsal spot, which was different than the venue. And then you had emails going out to the band, to the band members. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, like we said a, a minute ago, you had rehearsal tracks. And then there was money to rent whatever you needed to rent. And yep. the, the list goes on. So many moving parts. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So um, Hospitality. Hosp- I don't even know about that. <laughs> yeah, it's so much. And then dealing with the, with the venue, with tickets. And, you know, some, some people don't like purchasing tickets online and so i would actually meet up with people and give them you know tangible tickets and things of that nature so those had to be printed off <laughs> and so who was doing that part for example was that you what printing the tickets yeah. off? actually well, the your, venue your core core team the venue did the venue the venue would uh have they now this is the thing they they looked out for me in the regard of like they did they don't print off tickets anymore. You know, everything is basically done online. But I told them my demographic, and I was like, yeah, I got a lot of 50 and older, and they ain't trying to put their uh, credit cards on online too much. If you can just, you know, maybe you still got the printer, you know, the ticket printer. If you do, like, can you hook it up for me and just print me off 100? There's a lesson right there. I don't <laughs> want it to to be uh, overlooked. Mm-hmm. Now, number one, you knew who your audience was. Yes. You said, hey. 50 and over is my audience. They're not comfortable with putting in the credit card information. Mm-mm. It's it's important that you knew that. Yes. It helped you to get people to the concert because yeah. you knew that. The other lesson is that you were comfortable in talking to the venue and asking for help. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, they helped you yep. because you asked. Yes. So, again, that also helps you get more people to come in That's it. To, to the show. Valuable lessons, Paul. Yep. Thank you so much. So, um, the dancers. Okay. Uh, just I'm just pulling one of one example here. Okay. How did you work that out? Who who was overseeing that? Well, um, my uh, lead choreographer is uh, was Evadi H- Hamilton. And so, that right there, we have another leader. Yes. Go ahead. Evadne Hamilton, uh, she uh, actually goes to my church. She's over the praise dance ministry up there. I mentioned it to her, and I said, man, I have some ideas for some dancing portions. Of course, I'm not a dancer, so I like to get it from the source. You know, like, I have the idea. Can you run with this idea and put this and make this happen? And so um, my nephew um, was an awesome dancer. Uh, I was like, man, I, I want him to do something with the girl, you know what I'm saying, to open it up. And so she presented um, um, Courtney, which is the, the female counterpart, to, to do this. And she came up with the with the whole choreography for it. Her and, you know, my nephew, all of them kind of, you know, worked their ideas in. But she came in with the main idea. And they just came to my house. I have mirrors in my basement. And, you know, they worked it out. And it, it was an amazing experience for me working with the dancers because I've never done that before. 
be, to see that they kind of they think just like how I think, how we think musically. You know, it's like, oh, let's put this right here and that right there. And it's like, and they just go to it. And they take it from the top and they run it. And they'd be like, dude, you, do you realize what you just did? That, that'll take me 1,200 years to do that. <laughs> that lets you know that they were operating in their gift. Yep, that's it. So how did you settle on the venue that you settled on? We performed at the Promontory in Chicago. Mm-hmm. How did you settle on that venue? Well, I've done a lot of shows up there, previous shows up there, and... um and I had the desire to do something up there. I always wanted to do something there. Uh, some people might say, like, it's, it's kind of tough to get a show there, you know. But we had done a um, the Earth, Wind & Fire tribute show up there with uh, a couple other friends of mine for another production that I helped out with. And it was just like, it, was, it just seemed like the best way to go. Location. You know, if you know your demographic and the people that you're going to promote to, location is very key. It's like that was a great location. It's in the center of Chicago. It's not too far from anybody to get to. That was something that I took into consideration. Like if I'm my first show coming back into the, you know, I don't want to go way out in Evanston where nobody really knows who I am. And it's like, okay, this is the center of Chicago. Uh, Promontory is a nice venue, nice lighting, sound, and things of that nature, and it worked out. And that venue has uh, two levels, mm-hmm. at least two. I noticed two levels. Yes. Um, how many? What was the capacity for the room? Do you know? The capacity it, it fits um, four. They can make four forty fit there if it's like packed to capacity. That night we brought in two ten. You know, for a Tuesday night on a school night, it was like it blew my mind. You know, so it was it was great, man. And it looked for the the room was uh, set up appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, the bar was in the back of the room, yeah. And the audience was in front of the bar, yeah. And so it it was full. It it was it was a nice nice uh, representation uh, yes. by, by the audience. How did you feel the house? What what went into that do you have an email list yes we actually had a uh, we went to our old email list of some of the people who used to come when i used to do this show i did it once a month um which was a bit tough to do because then sometimes you find yourself playing catch up you know what i'm saying with the shows and trying to put things together never want to rush a show like again like that even though they were good productions but what went into it a lot was, you know, actually going back to our email list. These people have, they, they hit me up constantly, Chris. Like, man, can you please bring it back? Can you pre, I got more people that I want to bring. So I, I hit them back, you know. And then with uh, the help of my church family, Covenant United Church of Christ, like, they bought, that was probably 50 tickets there, you know, and the support that they gave me. It was like, man, you're finally back. Finally something that we can come to, you know. And that's the thing. It's not a lot for people who have kids and things of that nature that they can come to. In Chicago, that I don't see, that's, you know, that's not too much going on, you know what I'm saying? So it it worked out, man. And so if you didn't use the email list for a long time, I'm very curious about that first email after... Yeah. A year, like what? What was that? 
Yeah, we we talked about that actually. Our, uh, our our core crew of people, we talked about that. What do we want to say? What's the attention grabber? And so we we realized that you know building and having the flyer and having everything presented in colors and bold words of uh, what we want to say to catch the eye. We're back. Some people probably like, who is this? You know, who were you? It, it, it intrigued some of our uh, old people that used to come to the shows, and so it was. It was just set up. The marketing was just. Um, it was set up very well, you know, and that was something new for me too because I'm used to just sending out an email. I hey, you free? Come on through. You know what I'm saying? But with Sherry and uh, Nia, they work in marketing a whole lot more than I have, and so. It was a whole day that we spent on just like how are we going to send this stuff out so we can catch the eyes of the people. Now, we do know that most of our demographic aren't, you know, on their phones all the time or, you know, catching uh, checking emails all the time. So we had to hit them and uh, do some, you know, self-promotion and face-to-face promotion as well. Me and uh, Nia went to the area of in high park and we just walked around for a couple of days passed out flyers and did some did some leg work you know things of that nature went to barber shops put up posters and things of that nature and people were buying stuff you know that that floored me too because i never done that before you know so it but it definitely worked out man have you surveyed your audience yet um from the people who actually attended the show yes yes what what did you learn from the survey? Well, I've learned that, you know, first of all, that we have something that people need and that people people really want. You know, they even gave me criticism on, on different things that we can do and to make to make the experience more, you know, uh, that'll work out better for them. Things of that nature, you know. And so I learned so much about it and I take it to heart and I appreciate the honesty because we're doing it for the people you know i'm not doing this for myself you know it's it's satisfaction to me to see that they have a smile on their face and that they're going home with an experience and like man and the fact that that they even took time to even fill out a survey you know and to give us the accolades or different things of that nature i was floored by it so what's it like to step out on faith and do something bigger than yourself to do man, it for other people it's what, a, what did you feel it's a rush it's, it's it's a definite rush man i told somebody i was like man to sit just at your desk at home or at your or your table and just write down what you want to do and then write down an arrangement of a song and be like man okay right here they should stand up Right here, they should be doing this. And to actually see it when you're on stage and you see what you wrote down come to come to pass in your face. Like, man, I wrote that down. That was given to me in my spirit. I wrote it down and it happened. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it was a it was a rush, man, to, to just step out on faith, to, to tap into your faith. is a, It's just a. Another thing, some some you're gonna be afraid of some things. There's gonna be this ounce of fear, this thing. Of, but are you gonna go with that, or are you gonna go with faith? You know. What were some things you were afraid of? Um, I was afraid of like it being too late of a night on a Tuesday night when I first. I was like, okay, Tuesday eight o'clock. What well, we started at eight thirty. 
would that deter people? You know, it was in the heart of uh, October. So, you know, I actually had the rainiest day of October, and it was just a cold day. Just the day before, it was nice and sunny. <laughs> but you know how Chicago is. And so you think about those factors of, like, dang, this might maybe this might be a little bit too late of a night. But, you know, I knew the musicians that I had. Some of them still had to get to, had to do their church stuff, the church rehearsals and things. That's why I had to make it that time. And that was the sacrifices that you that you make, you know, when you're first starting something out is like you got to go with other people scheduling and stuff like that. And then you had that fear. But actually, 210 people showed up. Right. So I just wanted to point out mm-hmm. that in our heads, things go wrong. Mm-hmm. But then we put the work in. Yeah. And actually, everything is working out just fine. Yeah. And another thing just to add to that, to to people really don't know me in this element, you know, of pro- producer, the producer hat, you know, and a lot of people know me as like a drummer and things. So they don't know that I I have these ideas. Another hurdle that I had to get over when I'm doing this is. I'm calling some of the top singers in in the industry of Chicago singing, right? And I'm not known as a singer or things of that nature. But the fact that each one of these artists came in and respected the the vision that I had, not saying that they were doing anything wrong or anything like that, but the enhancements that I had, the ideas and that I had, that nobody was like, well, who are you? You know, they respected that. Yeah, and they that sure went a long did. way. Yeah, I noticed that you were directing them. Mm-hmm. You, were, you, They were singing just fine. Yeah. But then you would cut in and say, uh, hold on, do it like this, because this is what I envisioned. Right. And everybody was very receptive, very receptive. of that criticism. And then they gave you what you asked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you touched on something, and this is something I wanted to ask, and I almost forgot. I would have kicked myself if I didn't ask this question. How did you get everybody on board? Because you, you mentioned you had some of the top singers and musicians. Yeah. How did you do? How did you do that? Well, it number one starts off with reputation, man. Like who you are as a person will shine through so much if you're true to who you are and you're you're good to people, you know. And I've always valued myself. And, and being a respectful person, first of all, just a great person to people. I'm a people person, you know what I'm saying? That goes a long way. And, you know, and some some of the people that I had on the show, I've worked with and just as their drummer and things of that nature. And we we've, I've always respected them. I've always respected their music, their ideas. And so when the phone call came from me, it was like to they they it didn't take people a long time to be like oh no uh, let me see let me see what I got going on I don't know nobody said that everybody was like cool I'm in like let count me in and it was just blowing my mind it's like dang I know you probably got other stuff going on but you know the way I am as a person like my rapport with these people um it, it shined and so and it, it was a, it told the tale like man like you know what you put out. It'll come back to you, for real. Paul, thanks for joining us on the show. We're glad to have you today. 
You really helped us out. We appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks again for pressing play on this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please just press the share button and share that episode on your favorite form of social media. And also let me know what do you want to learn about? What do you want to learn about here in the show? What would you like to hear? Who would you like to hear as a guest? What topics would you like covered? Uh, you can let me know one or two ways. You can go to BehindTheNote.com and just leave a voicemail. Or you can sign up on the email list and write an email to me. And let me know. That's all for today. God bless you. See you in the next episode. Thank you.